You're listening to Just One of the Guys, your one-stop shop for Scandinavian rockers and nerd wranglers. episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Dingle, and I love be some Green Lantern. I'm going to especially love the Green Lantern that's coming up because it's going to be a brand new Green Lantern, written by a brand new writer. Mr. Judd Winnick, the former guest on the Beetle World, has gotten his first big gig in writing comic books, and he's going to be set to take on the mantle of Kyle Rayner and write this story. And we're going to be taking a look at Green Lantern number 129, his first foray into the Green Lantern mythos. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are as well. Plus, we've got a second book. We're covering part two of the Green Lantern vs. Alien story, which Ron Mars is writing. And actually, it starts to get good. I mean, not the first one was bad anyway, but... This one actually gets more of the horror vibe going on. Plus, we get uh, references back to some lanterns that we haven't seen in a while. Plus, one lantern that, you know, was just made up for the story. But, because this is a very special episode, I wanted to bring on a person who was a fan of the Judd Whittick run in Green Lantern, my very good friend and semi-regular co-host by now for Just One of the Guys. He is the host over at Better in the Dark with his best friend, Derek Ferguson. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so glad to welcome back on hopefully a very happier episode than that crappy inventory story that we did last time, Mr. Thomas DJ. Welcome back, Nothing Thomas. that is on this cover appears in the comic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are even things here on this cover that don't appear anywhere at all. <laughs> who's the Who's the freak with the glowy hand and the big... I, I thought it was dragon. Sonar, but it's like, what is he doing hanging around with a dire wolf? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, yeah, the cover of Greenland in 129, if you're looking at it, yeah, plays not a whit into the book itself so yeah but yeah we're going to be getting ready to cover green lantern number 129 after we take this quick podcast promo break play some promos and we'll be right back Quarks, customer satisfaction is our primary concern. I'd say we just found our way into a wormhole. I'm Kira Norris. Lieutenant Commander Worf, reporting for duty, sir. You're the best crew. 
any captain ever had. This may be the last time we're all together. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. It is quite simply, Commander. The journey you have always been destined to take. Sensors are not functioning. We've lost all contact with the space station. What the hell is happening out there? Shields up. <laughs> Damage report. Balance stations. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Listen to the prophets. A Deep Space Nine Two True Freaks presentation with Sean Engel and Andrew Layla. And now with 100% more Paul Spataro. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners and the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at Relatively Geeky Podcast blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. All right, and we're back. So we're going to skip emails once again. I'll be getting your emails. You can still uh, write in at just one of the guys podcasts at gmail.com. I've got a few from Scott Davis that I'll be getting to, my, my wonderful Canadian listener. Thank you, Scott. But for right now, we're going to go ahead and jump into the inaugural issue of the Judd Winnick run. It's Green Lantern number 129. This one was cover dated October 2000 and released on August 2nd, 2000, with a cover price of 225 US and 350 Canada. I don't know if the price went up recently, but yeah, it's gone up a bit. So you're paying more. That's great. The title was Something Old, Something New. The writer, like I said, was Judd Winnick. The penciler was Daryl Banks, inker, Andy Smith. Colors and separations were by Rob Schwager. The letterer was Chris Heliopoulos. The assistant editor was Frank Berrios. And the editor was Bob Schreck. Flashing back to a time in his youth where he fell off a boat into the Long Island Sound and nearly drowned, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner wonders if he was more afraid for his life then than he is now. Currently, he's fighting off some cyber tentacles of a robo-octopus that's trying to drag him deep into space. Kyle momentarily frees himself and tries to contact any superhero for help, but the coiling cables have hit their mark, knocking Kyle out and dragging him away. Flashing back again to two weeks prior to this encounter, Kyle sits at his art desk drawing when his phone rings. 
Letting it go to the machine, Cal hears that the call is from Andre Choi, the art director of Feast Magazine, the DC equivalent to Entertainment Weekly, and he'd like to give Kyle a job. What kind of job is up to your imagination? <clears throat> Leaping for the phone, Kyle accepts the offer and heads out to the Feast offices. There he meets with Andre, a very bohemian businessman. <laughs> Just say bohemian. Let's go with that. Who, after checking out Kyle's credentials and his ass, takes him to see the chief editor and magazine founder, Rena Stone. After a conversation that would make a lesser interviewee file a sexual harassment claim, Rena flat out offers Kyle a job, which Kyle happily accepts, since it has a bi-weekly schedule, huge pay rate, and a fully paid Nokia 3310 cell phone <laughs> with unlimited texting. It's a flip phone. <laughs> Thanks, AT&T. <laughs> John Stewart is pretty impressed with Kyle grabbing this gig, and after some awkward discussion of how awesome the group AHA is, yet how Kyle is... <laughs> yet how Kyle is worried that he might mess this up, Kyle leaves John's apartment and heads back to Bleecker Street to get set up for his new career. Two days later, Kyle meets Terry Berg, his 16-year-old snarky mulleted assistant. After criticizing his decor and taste in art, Terry begins setting up all the, setting up all the electronics Kyle will need to work for the magazine. Cut to a few days later, and Kyle is finishing up his first comic for the mag. He tells Terry to meet him over at the apartment to finish up the project, but as soon as he hangs up the phone, the cyber tentacles from the beginning of the story smash through the roof, dragging Kyle into space. After some Fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights observed, with the fairest fastenings, Kyle is knocked out and taken to a mysterious spaceship. A spaceship piloted by Manhunter Robots. Alright, there we go, the... Uh... First big comic story by Judd Winnick. And I just want to say, right off the bat, it does get better, people. Okay, and yeah, not that it's a bad story. It is a lot different from what Ron Mars did, did mm -hmm. with the character, but it doesn't feel like he's wiping away everything that came before him. It doesn't feel like he's giving the character a blank slate. Um, the dialogue is peppered with more youthful uh, speak than... What I'm really it's like John Stewart in particular seems to de-age about ten years. Mm -hmm. He 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 does seem to be. Everyone seems to be more hip and trendy. And you know, I got you know for for reference, I got a sort of Kevin Smith type feel to the dialogue. It's it's that sort of snarky, poppy, you know, late '80s, early 2000s, you know, hip speak that all the kids were using. Um, Art I mean, I would I would dispute your claim that it was that Feast is supposed to be Entertainment Weekly. I think it's more along the lines of details or Maxim. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's you know, which was a big popular. That was like the new what they used to call the new men's magazine, which was mm -hmm. like Playboy only without the naked people. Well, then why the hell would you buy it? I guess, but oh, okay. because you had like big name female hot female celebrities who you would want to see naked, but would never appear in Playboy, appearing in their underwear. Okay. Well, I guess that makes makes sense then. But yeah, uh, it's it's not the greatest opening. You know, uh, I think Ron Mars did a better job with opening his run. But, you know, there are some interesting things set up in here, but there's also some really annoying things set up in here. So, and I think we'll get to that. Um, 
let's start out with the cover, which I think we mentioned at the beginning of the show has nothing at all to do with anything uh, in the book. The book, except that John Stewart is in fact in it. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, sadly, although I don't know how he suddenly became special friends with Guy Gardner, <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, Banks is back to his weird wonkiness with drawing drawn. John has never really looked good under the pencils of Daryl Banks. He's always looked kind of muddy, and you know, his especially his eyes have never looked really good. Especially he looks Hispanic on this cover. He kind of does, you know, even though his skin tone is obviously, you know, an African-American male. Yeah, his face does have that sort of, yeah, Hispanic look. Plus, I'm wondering how they couldn't get like, you know, logos for AT&T or Pepsi (laughs) or Pets.com just crammed on this cover either. You know, know, having having Jenny and Alan Scott and the the Trinity is is nice to see, but they're nowhere to be found in this book. Not just Jenny, but Jenny in her underwear. Yeah. Well, that's, that makes no sense because other it, than to, to offset what we're about to discuss. Yes. And, and then, you know, the weirdest thing is, I don't know. And we discussed this, I think off air is who yeah. the hell is this guy in the <laughs> bottom right hand corner? I, th- you know, we mentioned he looks like sonar because he's got yeah. this sort of long hair and, the sort of glowy hand that might be the, the the trench coat over the the bodysuit and all that. Mm-hmm. But then he's got this weird giant Lord of the Rings beastie behind him. It's it's a it's a nice looking cover, mm-hmm. but it just has nothing to do with. But I guess it's just something here. Buy this. It's got things in it. <laughs> you like things, don't you? <laughs> Moving into the moving into the book, uh, on page one, yeah, I was kind of confused at where this all was supposed to be happening. Mm-hmm. It looks from may, maybe this is just me not knowing the geography of like San Francisco, but that looks like the Bay Bridge in the first uh, panel yeah. there. But they say it's supposed to be Long Island. I think the, it might be the Triborough. Okay, see, because, I think, but then it then it kind of begs the question why would kyle be in new york city because i thought he was kind of he a, was a child of, of the west coast yeah he was yeah. so you know maybe you know he had a vacation out in new york city for yeah. some reason but whatever that's neither here nor there and, and I, I think it's not falling into the long island sound that, that caused him the trauma but having to take the uh whole series of tetanus shots <laughs> afterwards no the thing is the, the waters around New York are filthy. Well, and you've seen that last panel. He's just sucking in all the water. Yeah. So, yeah, he's not going to be feeling well regardless. Pages two and three, you know, the artwork, you know, is really nice, but uh, cyber hentai tentacles. Uh. Yeah. And the other thing that kind of weirds me out about this is that he his uh, mask is kind of like, creeping away and my first thought is that's kind of dangerous in deep space but then i see that he's got the the protective shell yeah he's got the green aura around him Mm -hmm. you know and you get later in in the book that he wasn't able to completely ring up his costume and he's trying to fend off these weird hentai tentacles you know so i think it's it's a weird angle maybe it's just the weird angle it looks like he's bending in a way that shouldn't be he shouldn't be allowed to bend 
yeah, I'm trying to see, you know, his his right leg is kind of up around his head and then mm-hmm. can't really see what's going on with his left leg there. But eh. yeah, I've seen worse art. Well, it could be just an exa- another example of why his new boss hired him. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Uh, um, you're going to have to get to this eventually, dude. <clears throat> well, let's go ahead and pull it off like a Band-Aid. Let's yeah. move ahead to... <clears throat> the, bulk next... of the, the, the bulk of the the um, mm-hmm. the book. Yeah, pay, page six is where it starts. Um, <clears throat> we get Kyle's answering machine picking up and Andre saying uh, who he is and you know Kyle's little snarky answering machine message and he answers that <clears throat> he's ordering a double non-fat latte with a blueberry scone. Mm-hmm. Anyone who eats that gets shot right to the top of my pretentious <laughs> douchebag list in pretty short order. Mm-hmm. But, and, and you'll notice, by the way, that that maybe it's just me, but the way that Kyle is drawn has changed. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit more, shall we say, beefcakey. Yes. Um, except for uh, on page seven, that second panel there, where he's got the cell phone up to his ear. That's not Kyle. That's Billy Batson. There. <laughs> yes. I don't know what happened to the art there. You know why? Why? You know because Mars draws him pretty well throughout the rest of the book. Not Ron Mars, you buffoon. Daryl Banks is the artist. How long have you been doing this? Look at this one panel. He looks like he's aged to a twelve-year-old. It's yeah ridiculous. Not the first time we'll see the amazing de-aging ray in this issue. Yeah, true. Um. Let's move on mm-hmm. to the introduction. Kyle goes to the office and meets with Andre Choi. Of and course, we like to call it homosexual stereotype. Yes. Uh, you know, I know Judd Winnick, you know, kind of got his uh, start and claim to fame by being really good friends with Pedro Zamora on The Real right. World. The, oh, uh, ca- his first uh, graphic novel was... Mm-hmm capitalizing on his friendship with Pedro. It was called mm-hmm. Me and Pedro, in fact. I mean, can't yeah. be more obvious than that. And, you know, uh, it upsets me that a person who has uh, such a really good relationship with with a homosexual, with this homosexual friend, you know, would revert to these awful stereotypes. I mean, looking on page nine, that, that second panel there where He's just got the slicked back hair and the little tiny ponytail and the round tinted glasses and holding his finger up to his chin going, hmm, look at that butt. Oh, it's my just it's, this in the real world. Kyle Rayner would sue this magazine out of existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, I guess it's a credit to the character of Kyle that he's like, mm-hmm. you know, taking it all in stride. And maybe it's because, you know, he's he's living in an area that's very bohemian. You know, he's got members of his apartment complex who are, you know, uh, who are uh, have alternate lives, alternative lifestyle, who are gay. So he's accustomed to it. But, yeah, the kind of I mean, you look at this this face he's making on the second panel of page nine where he's Mm -hmm. obviously discomforted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle's not liking this but i think the fact that you know he needs a job you know in in his in the story or in his career he needs a job to help pay for all this stuff and a steady job it, it's a nice way I, I like that winnick is doing that to sort of to sort of give a 
a decompression time from the action stories of his right. being Green Lantern. Because one of the complaints a lot of people have had about modern day comics is it's always the action. You know, Green right. Lantern is always, you know, fighting in the next big thing and, you know, going up against this next big group of criminals and having this big event thing. And what I liked about this era was we had these times where you could come down and decompress and mm-hmm. go to the Warriors bar or hang out with Guy and John or hang out with, you know, his apartment mates or go on a date with Jenny and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it's nice that Winnick is at least setting up this this job, which will allow him to be not Green Lantern for us or part of the book. Right. It, it, what's interesting is I don't know if you've gotten into this uh, Origins and Secret Files yet. They actually publish in one of them uh, examples of this comic strip that they're setting up. I know. I know. I've done Secret Files number two, and he had yeah. a sketchbook. But it was never mm-hmm. really in the comic. Um, it might be in the third one, which I'll eventually be getting yeah. to, I, I think, on its release date. I don't know. I don't have the exact uh, time, but I know I will be getting to the third one. Which is another reason why I think that Feast is details. Okay. Which I, I am – I don't know if I should be ashamed of or not. I did actually subscribe to for many years. Well, you know, that's okay. Alyssa Milano in her underwear. I mean, well, there on, you go. There's – you know <laughs> – there's reasoning. I think yeah. that's I think that's a valid valid. That's reason. a valid reason. But uh, they actually had, unlike Maxim and the others, they actually had a comic section in the back. And in fact, uh, it's fairly well known uh, the comic section because it was the home of twin, not twin palms, wild palms. Oh yeah. The infamous comic strip that the writer admitted later on he was making up as he went along. That was adapted by ABC as a miniseries in the hopes that it would go to series. That literally made no sense. Wasn't that also done by um, Oh Twin Peaks director David? Didn't David Lynch have something to do with that? No, no, that was uh, uh, Wild Palms was uh, produced by Oliver Stone. Oh, okay, that's that's who I was thinking. I knew they had some big Hollywood yeah. guy behind it, and I thought it was mm-hmm. David Lynch, but that's that's just me misremembering. You have, I mean. It, in the, the, the how to show how nonsensical this this show was, you had James Belushi who was the main who was the uh, the lead character, give an interview several months later saying we had no idea what we were doing, we did not know what the hell this. Show, we only we knew is that we got a paycheck at the end of the day. Sometimes you know that's the the best thing an actor can ask for, I guess. You know, you know, we're really not focusing too much on the comic you know especially since we're coming to kyle's new boss mm-hmm. who, yeah for, you know, cre- creepy stalker girl yeah here here's another thing where kyle would you know be completely justified in saying hey um sexual harassment you know but i guess you know if he's not employed there yet can he yeah. actually file sexual harassment against them so you know he's got to get the job first and then let them there's that them. one weird panel and on page 10 where it looks like she's getting ready to kiss him Mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's the kind of thing you know it i understand this is a sort of friendly uh well probably overly friendly magazine that obviously you know caters to more let's say sexually open people Mm -hmm. but yeah that's got to be it's got to be a discomforting thing to have to go to that work environment all the time you know, I, I know I wouldn't like to be in a work environment where every day you know, I, I'd feel that someone 
Well, luckily he's working out of his home, so he doesn't have to worry about that. That is, that is good. Really, after that, I don't, you know, I've got a few notes. I, I think it's humorous. The the dialogue, moving on to the conversation with John and uh, Kyle, the dialogue takes a definite turn, making both the characters have this more youthful feel. Yeah, and it does not work with John, with John, no, John I, Stewart. Like I said, I read ahead a little bit more, and I think Judd Winnick has a little better take, a different mm-hmm. take on Guy, but a little better take than he does with John. Oh, I hated... I, I, I That was one of the things I, I hated, the fact that he reverted Guy back to a lunkhead. Yeah. Uh, I'm I mean, there, there's I'm an hoping. issue we're going to get to. It's, it's a very famous issue. Okay. Where there is a scene of all of the Green the former Green Lanterns posed, posed around a hospital bed. And we get to see all their thoughts. And John is having serious thoughts, and Kyle is having serious thoughts, and Alan is having serious thoughts, and Jenny is having serious thoughts. And Guy's thought is, I hope this is over soon because i got to get to my next game. Uh, all right, you're you're not selling me on Judd Winnick yet. I'm 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 hoping it does get better. I'm serious. Okay, I. But yeah, and you know, looking here and you know, on page twelve is knowing that knowing that John you know is a big fan of Aha. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. I wonder maybe he's a, a fan of not only a big fan. He's like that 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 one panel where they're talking about Aha uh-huh, on page twelve. He looks like he's super super. He's like a he's like. You know, teenage girl waiting online for Duran Duran excited by Aha. Well, that's why I'm saying, you know, he's just a huge fan of Scandinavian artists. He loves <laughs> Aha. He's got he's got the entire ABBA collection. Ace of Base <laughs> is in his is in his iPod. <laughs> the cardigans. You know, he's just all about the you know. Uh, oh, but... I now have this image of John Stewart kind of dancing around his apartment to take a chance on me. I- I'm here in love for. Love me, love me, say. Well, the Cardigans. Okay, the Cardigans was one of those was one of those bands where their one single that that broke here in the United States is totally non representative of what they are. They're actually like a, a kind of like a hardish experimental uh, experimental rock outfit. Oh, really? But you know, because they hit with this one little song that they actually I think wrote for a, a movie soundtrack. Everybody thinks of them as this kind of like sweet little with the hot Scandinavian girl in front, in front of the center. It's it, they are not like that at all. Okay, well maybe I'll have to give them a shot because you know I I don't mind the song Love Fool, but if they've got more edgy stuff, maybe I'll have to check them out. Right. Um, after that, after the interlude with John. You know, again, I would love to have a Radu or a Warriors coffee mug. You know, right. if anyone can find one of those and you know, clue me into where I can find it, I will pick one up. Mm-hmm. But after that, we get introduced to to Terry. To Terry, very Curry. important character, yeah. And since I think we all know about Terry and his story arc in in the story, and I'm really glad, knowing what we do know about him, that he's not presented initially in the same way that that awful stereotype of an editor and andre was mm-hmm. do, you, do you want to talk a little about him uh, in fact we never learn in this first appearance there are hints as you pointed out but uh terry is uh is gay mm-hmm. um as we we're going to learn in the next coming but they judd does not uh 
draw attention to this. And in fact, the, the, the character is very, very well portrayed. This is more like you would expect from somebody who has traded on the fact that his, he had a deep friendship with a, with a gay man who died of AIDS. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, and I, I like the fact that there are these little bits seated here, but he's just comes off as sort of a snarky 16 year old kid. Mm-hmm. There, there was no hints like there were, I'm wondering if, you know, Winnick decided to put the overt, over the top gay character to draw kind of, attention. to draw attention to it, to Way. sort of distract you away mm-hmm. from the possibility that this character would eventually turn out to be gay. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we'd eventually learn that he would be gay. So maybe, you know, it doesn't justify the character because that character is crap, but. Yeah, yeah there's nothing. I don't think we ever see him again, thank God. Oh, that. I don't think that, we see anybody from Feast ever again. Good. Outside of they, Terry. They can, they can go with. They can go to where Ben Rabe is. They can just go, go away, with Ben him. Rabe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, don't worry, Ben Rabe's coming back in a while. Don't, away, Ben Rabe. Don't, don't make me think about that. But yeah, he, his introduction here is just a, a, a fun little, you know, snarky character and it's 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 nice it's good story writing here so i'm actually wanting to see how terry berg you know evolves in this mm-hmm. um after the introduction of terry you know we get basically <laughs> kyle and his headset what the <laughs> well you know he's he, i don't think this is 2000 i don't think skype would be around so maybe he's yeah. maybe this is on the phone and he's doing that but yeah, and then after that, it's just a big bunch of fight sequences. It's, yeah. uh, the artwork is decent. There's a lot of, you know, onomatopoeia and tentacles wrapping around him and Kyle doing, you know, you know, 19th century bodybuilder constructs. <laughs> but, you know, until the end, you get the reveal of the Manhunters, you know, which is... Who have apparently learned about diversity. Yeah, there's there's various different sizes of manhunters. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, you've got the big Hulk like manhunter, and then yeah. you got the smiley, almost Joker face <laughs> one up front. He's he's happy to see them. Be our guest. Be our guest. <laughs> <laughs> now I won't be able to hear. You know, they say in the next issue. Go ahead, spoiler head. That Kyle hears them as a sort of James Mason. Now I won't be able to. To hear them, except in the voice of Rene Arbergenois, or whatever you whatever you call him, Odo from Deep Space Nine. He yeah. was he was Lumiere and yeah, and you know, uh, what is it? Not the Lion, but Beauty and the Beast. Right. But yeah, uh, uh, not a bad issue. Uh, an yeah. okay start. I like the character of Terry, and I you know knowing what I do know about him, I'm wanting to see how they develop him, and you know, God knows he's got to be. A, a more interesting character than that awful, awful stereotype of Andre. I mean, the biggest problem with this is it's trying too hard to be. We're new and different. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's kind of, that is its one weakness that it is trying to be hip and edgy. And it's like, we're starting out something new. Yeah. We're still taking off the whole things that have been going on, but we're new and hip and cool and swinging. And I'm making references that don't really fit into this. Am I? <laughs> but yeah, overall good story. I, I, you know, I'm looking forward. Like I said, having not read this stuff when it was coming out, I'm not disappointed with it so far. You know, like I said, the character, those two characters of from fees magazine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But oh, overall, 
I'm liking it. Yeah. And it does, I mean, as I keep assuring you, and I know it sounds like I'm an apologist, uh, Winnick does get better. The Ion storyline, I think you're going to really, really be pleased with. Um, everyone, th- There's a lot of good stuff. Everyone um, has commented about Ion being a really great story arc, so I'm looking forward to that. On the other hand, uh, ugly Jim Lee redesigned costume. <sighs> Not looking forward to that. But I am looking forward to covering our next book, which is Green Lantern vs. Aliens number two. So we'll go ahead and take our little break here, plug some promos, and once we get back, we'll head right into that. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a Back to the Men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have to mine, you have to do it. You might want to only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time, and then if you go out of that, it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough so it's better to just set it up oh, okay it, it really doesn't work well so i checked right. uh i checked my uh mm-hmm. what's my pro- okay. it definitely built mm-hmm. build me for the hotel for all three of us join back to the bins every week for goodness solomon grunder hate voiceovers R. what's that stand for robin Hello everyone, this is Rob Myers, and I'd like to invite you to check out my podcast called Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. Rob, are you going to take out the trash? Uh, I'm right in the middle of uh, recording a, an ad for my, my podcast. I'll, I'll do it in just a little bit, okay? Sorry to interrupt. Boy wonder time. Boy wonder? I'm all man, lady. Uh, Rob? Uh, okay, where was I? That's right. My podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. It'll be hosted over at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'll be covering Tim Drake's origin story from the very beginning, starting with Tim's first appearance in Batman 436, also known as Batman Year 3, and hopefully going all the way through the Robin Ongoing series, starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 183. 183 issues? Wow. Well, it's a good thing, because everyone loves the Drake. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. And, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. So, let's go ahead and dive into the next issue here. We're covering Green Lantern vs. Aliens, number two. This one was cover dated October 2000, released on October 11, 2000, with a cover price of $2.99 US and $4.50 Canada. The writer was Ron Mars, the penciler was Rick Leonardi, inker was Mike Perkins, the colorist was Dave Stewart, letterer was Steve Dutro, cover artist was Dwayne Turner, the designer was... Great cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'll go ahead and just start here. You know, they get the aliens down really well in this. Yeah, and it's just, I mean... Salak looks like Salak. Mm-hmm. I will. I will have something the same when we get to the coverage of that. But I think Salak looks good here. Um, the only problem I have with the cover is the uh, the the hives alive slap. Because my first thought was Johnny Five is in this. <laughs> the hive is alive. <laughs> 
Back to credits, designer was Darcy Hackett. The assistant editors were Tim Evan Gore and Frank Berrios. The editors were Phil Lamar and Bob Schreck. The publisher was Mike Richardson. And special thanks go out to Debbie Olshan at Fox and Neil Weber at DC Comics. Rising from his easel and exhausted Kyle Rayner marvels at his cover art for the latest Sega PlayStation 64 graphic video game. As he heads back into the kitchen of his Bleecker Street apartment, He's greeted by a fin-headed, birdfish alien. After a quick check to make sure that he's not hallucinating this, Kyle meets with Tomar Dar, the Zudarian next in line to become Green Lantern of his sector. Tomar escorts him into the next room, where he's introduced to former lanterns Brick, Ash, Madonna, not like the material world girl, but you know, it's spelled differently, Considering what happens, yeah, I would have loved it if it was the real Madonna. Oh, we can only dream. <laughs> and Salak. Wondering what brought this cosmic confab to his living room, Tomar tells Kyle of a Colian transport vessel that crashed onto Mogo, the living planet and former Green Lantern. What's worse is that about ten years ago, Salak and the other members of the Green Lantern Corps had deposited an infestation of aliens on Mogo, and now the crashed crew is in terrible danger. Since the Corps was responsible for this, Salak feels that they should take care of it, with Kyle's help as well. Charging up his ring, Green Lantern and the former Corpsman head off for the planet Mogo. Upon arrival, the Corps finds the downed Ord transport and begins looking for, sur- for survivors. Kyle suggests the former Lanterns hang back, since he should be able to handle the threat, but Salak states that although their power rings are gone, the oaths that they took remain, and all the while commenting on Kyle not having an oath of his own. Kyle fires back at the petulant picklehead, saying that he's having to clean up their mess, so a little bit of gratitude would be welcome. What also would be welcome is the Ripley slash Laura Croft amalgam to stop Ronda pointing Ronda Rousey? <laughs> oh, Rhonda, you're so wonderful. <laughs> For her to stop pointing her phase pistol in Kyle's face. Relieving her of her gun via the sticky tongue of a frog construct, Kyle introduces himself and the Corps to Crow, the first officer and last survivor of the crashed ship Signet Dawn. And sadly, it's not Crow from MST3K. Oh, that would have been so cool. (laughs) That would have been Green Lantern versus Aliens versus MST3K. Get on that, DC. Offering to accompany Crow to find any survivors, the group heads further into the bowels of the ship, eventually reaching a tunnel leading deep underground. As Kyle and Crow check to see how far down the chasm goes, a drip of mucus falls from the ceiling, and the xenomorphs attack. Crow and the Corps start blasting away, but the aliens are too quick for them, taking the entire team captive save for Kyle, Crow, and Salak. And, to make matters worse, in an attempt to save the falling Zudarian, Kyle's ring was pulled off his finger and fell into the chasm below. Okay, now maybe I've just grown accustomed to Mars' writing style, but Mm -hmm. the snarky Kyle in the story feels more like the character in the Winnick book, and I don't know, since this was written around the same time, I don't know whether... You know, Mars was getting ideas from it. Uh, I mean, it, it still feels like Mars writing, but it does have a bit more of the Stark to it than yeah. than it did during the regular part Although of the Mars. Although weirdly, part. it feels like it takes place before. Mm-hmm. 
because it, it of the the status quo of uh Kyle has a freelancer. Mhm. You know, it just it just has a feel that this took place sometime in the the Mars run. Yeah. Um I I like getting back with the lost lanterns and you know and mm-hmm. aside from Madonna, all of the again. <laughs> You know, I, I it's one of those things where you look at it in the book and you're like, oh, that's a bunch of apostrophes and, you know, consonants strung together. But when you actually speak it out, you're like, like a lantern. <laughs> hey, slinging for the very first time. Uh, she's going to dress you up. In a Getting garage. eaten by some aliens. <laughs> oh, Lord. But, you know, I, I'm glad to see, you know, the the. Not only referencing, you know, major Green Lantern characters like Salak, but we also get Brick, you know, mm-hmm. from the early Gerard Jones run and Ash from the Green Lantern Corps story. He was the one who was fighting off uh, those vampires in the uh, right. Green Lantern Corps quarterly. So uh, it, it's nice to at least see them here. Um, going on to the book proper, I, again, the cover, really good cover. I think Dwayne mm-hmm. Turner does a great job getting both Kyle and Salak down perfectly and the aliens look great. Mm-hmm. However, I do have a nitpick. I think Turner didn't realize that Salak had four arms. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the placement of a couple of his arms, the, the two arms that he's holding the guns out straight right. look like he were initially drawn in. But then the arm sort of pointing up near his head and the one right. down below that looked like they were penciled in or inked in at the uh, uh, because they don't look right. Right. They look like they're coming out of his back or something. Mm-hmm. But other than that, a really great composition on the cover. It's, but yeah, the, the and it's atmospheric. It kind of sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And, and and the tone does get a little bit darker. In the first book, you know, there wasn't really all that much of the horror element that you'll get from the aliens type movies. Mm-hmm. Here, it gets a bit more, and you know, we'll see even more with Kyle being depowered. How it how it becomes even more like, you know, an aliens or a James Cameron aliens movie. So, mm-hmm. uh, moving into the book, I like Leonardi's style. Yeah. Uh, Although he draws Kyle far too old. Mm, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Especially on this third page, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, he's stretched. I do think he draws him very naturally that, uh, first panel where he's, uh, stretching at his easel. Yeah. That looks that looks far more natural than a lot of the poses that we've seen uh, Daryl Banks drawing. You know, just him mm-hmm. st- with his foot stretched back and him, you know, extending his arm. He, he looks good, but yeah, that that last panel on that page, he looks like he's he looks like he's in his forties. He looks yeah. just gaunt and his sunken in cheekbones. So, although yeah. give him credit, he's on unlike Banks, as we saw in the previous book, where he's all over the place model wise. His Kyle stays on model. Mm-hmm. I, I do love the next page. I guess it's page uh, three, the the top panel, the sort of Dutch angle thing where Kyle right. sees Tomar for the first time. It's just a brilliant comedy beat. And then the next yeah. panel, he's just rubbing his eyes and like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> it's it, it, it's great. It, it, the fact that Kyle doesn't freak out or anything, it's just like, oh, there's an alien in my apartment. Right. Is it Tuesday? Uh, it's Tuesday. Okay. There's an alien in my apartment, of course, which was the uh, discarded <laughs> sequel to E.T. 
Oh, I would have so, you know, we could probably get, you know, Henry Thomas, you know, back to do, <laughs> do a sequel to that, you know. I don't think he's doing much of anything. Um, Except asking, do you want fries with that? <laughs> oh, poor Henry Thomas. <laughs> you know, uh, Drew, Drew Barrymore is, you know, doing stuff, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, most of that stuff is like cocaine. Oh, yeah. oh sorry. That's not right either. Um, like I said, uh, moving on to page four. It's nice to see these uh, lanterns that we haven't seen. And it's nice to see that Hal didn't necessarily kill all the lanterns. You know, it was kind of like the, you know, the Jedi purge in the uh, in, in the uh, what the third Star Wars uh, prequel, uh, right. Revenge of the Sith, where there were some Jedis that get did get away. At least there were some lanterns to get away. And Brick looks significantly different. She yes. doesn't have the sort of headpiece thing. Mm-hmm. Ash looks the same, and I think I think you're right. Salak really looks great in this. I think Leonardi yeah. does a great job drawing him. I, I should point out, this is we're on. The, I think we're on, the, on this page where you have the Gather Lantern. His thing about no smoking. This was during a time. This is the beginning of that time where uh, the government actually started paying people mm-hmm. to not have characters smoke. Yeah, which is, you know, we kind of mentioned off the air before we started talking about the. Uh, about you know DC comic shows and how mm-hmm. Constantine, you know, a character who in the comic, you know, granted it was a Vertigo comic, so it could mm-hmm. have the mature audiences type of thing to it, was constantly smoking. In fact, right. you know, I, I believe he developed lung cancer in yes, it, it, that was a major storyline called uh, original. I think it was called Original Sense. Okay, something to that effect. So uh, you know, the fact that him in the in the TV show isn't going to be smoking is, it's one of the negative things about it yeah. because, you know, because of this idea that we don't want to have characters smoking on shows. And, you know, in, in recent thought, the only real character that I can remember who was a person who smoked was the character on the X-Files, the, the cigarette smoking. Cigarette smoking man, but he was a bad guy. It was yeah. okay for bad guys to smoke. Yeah, because because smoking is bad. And if you associate right. it with a person who's evil, then it's it's a perfectly legitimate mm-hmm. form of you know characterization. But uh yeah. I I understand the reasoning behind it, but you know, it, it's just a character beat for something. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't have to be, you know, associated with something negative. I think I think anyone who does smoke realizes that it's not a healthy thing to do, mm-hmm. but it's just you know neither is excessive drinking, neither is doing drugs, you know. That's it, but it's just some things that people do, you know. And uh, uh, again, not want not get off on political ground. Um, on page five, you know, as uh, Tomar is explaining what's going on uh, in that. Uh, that sixth panel there, one in the corner, Kyle mentioned yeah. that he was on Mogo at one time. Mm-hmm. And I am trying my best to remember in the Mars run, maybe it was something ancillary, maybe mm-hmm. in a Justice League story or something, but he mentioned that he was on Mogo once. And I can't, for the life of me, recall when that would have happened. I do want to point out that, that there's that weird panel where it looks like uh, Tomar, whatever, is speaking in pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is kind of, yeah, I, I didn't really notice that. You know, he's talking initially, you know, we were once Green Lanterns, and then he has a speech balloon, which I think could have just been a sort of inset panel of the lanterns flying around, but yeah, 
yeah, that's weird that he's that that is kind of a weird composition on that page or on that mm. on that panel. But hmm, I don't know why he would be. You know, it, it's never been depicted before that that's the way the Zudarians communicate. But yeah, that is odd. I don't yeah. get that. Um, the next page, page six. I'm I'm glad that Salak, who was a part of the initial group in the in the first story of this, feels a responsibility for all this going on, mm-hmm. and I, it works with the character of Salak, him being the sort of the most. Salak always felt like the most sort of conservative of right. the uh, group during the uh, Engelhart and Staten run of mm-hmm. Green Lantern. So the fact that he's like, you know, we we caused this problem. We need to go fix it. Uh, that perfectly works in his character, and I like that he's doing this here. Right. So, where is it? Next, uh, my next notes on pages eight and nine. The uh, fact that the alien spaceship that crashed on Mogo was an ore transport mm-hmm. is a, it is a nice callback to the original Alien film, right. where the uh, Nostromo essentially mm-hmm. was a giant ore transport ship. So, you know. There you go, tying it back to the original movie as well. Then on page 11, I, I like the back and forth between Kyle and Salak. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, the the dialogue, like I said, it feels a bit more, again, I'm using the word snarky. Yeah. But I, I, I like that initially Salak doesn't cotton to Kyle and the way Kyle's, you know, being a Green Lantern. Salak has this, not really outdated, but this, uh, I guess this sort of militaristic view of how the Green Lanterns would work. And since Kyle is his own person, it kind of clashes with the way Salak, you know, believes that the Green Lanterns should operate. So I like the sort of back and forth between these two characters. Which is another reason why I think this story takes place uh, earlier. Because it's, you remember he has that, has in that memorable issue number 100, he has that realization about what it means to belong to a greater thing. And this comment about, you know, I'm my own guy, screw you, mm. is at odds with that. Yeah, that does kind of make sense. It, that that would make sense that, you know, after the whole, uh, you know, dealing with Hal coming back and the Emerald Knight storyline, mm-hmm. that, you know, he, he did sort of step up and say, I've got to, you know, take this seriously. I can't just be the fun-loving guy who makes weird constructs and hangs out with this amazing super group i have a, and, and I, bangs a succession of incredibly hot super chicks well you know it's it's perks i guess but uh you know what i'm thinking of now mm-hmm. <laughs> yes i know what you're thinking of now mm, Catherine in, in the in the troya outfit uh, that's that's a nice image. You know, we've moved from Kelly Clarkson to Catherine McPhee. Oh, <laughs> so this a, is like the all the all um, American Idol contestant, you know, cosplay thing. Oh, yes. that's awesome. Um, on the next page, we get introduced to Crow again. Not the not the molybdenum, you know, made automaton from Mr. Science Theater, but like a, a very Laura Croft type character. Yeah. Who's, who's the only surviving member of the uh, spaceship that crashed here. That is such a weird first, I mean, that first panel where we first see her, it's there's something really weird about the anatomy there. Yeah. And, you know, 
I think we'll, you know, once we get the reveal about Crow at the end of the thing, we'll understand mm-hmm. a bit more why her anatomy looks weird. But yeah, she does. I, I don't know whether they're going for the sort of J. Scott Campbell mm-hmm. danger girl type look, but it's it's definitely got that, you know, that sort of weird feel. And why it she, might just be the, the the way that the shorts look baggy on her. Yeah, that kind of accentuates the, her lower. You know, yeah, she, lower... she, she looks she she looks far too hippie, maybe. Yeah. You know, and not not hippie as in hey man, but you know her hips. <laughs> um. You know she's she's an interesting character, but I've got a um, I've got a question. Uh, page thirteen after you know she gets introduced to the core, you know, they mentioned that she was the only one that the aliens didn't take. So it, it, it's one of those things wh- that we don't really that we don't really get clued into, but it's one of those things like they took the rest of the crew. Why did she get left? Were, you know, these are mindless, you know, hive minded aliens. Mm-hmm. Why is she left behind? So, uh. well, you know, uh, if you're familiar with the, uh, the alien series, you know, there's always one type of character in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think, I think that's kind of, yeah, you know, they're seeding this, uh, you know, which I'm, I, I don't want to spoil, but they're seeding, you know, who this character is. And it isn't until the end that we get the reveal of, you know, why this character wasn't taken. But it still would have been fun if it was in Steve PK's crew. <laughs> and, and yeah, it would have been great if, you know, suddenly they peel off her face and it's a big bowling pin nose. And... <laughs> I'm super. Ah. <laughs> uh. I really Look at me, I'm action hero. <laughs> I really don't have any notes after that until page 19. You know, they you know, it's a it's a typical fight and the aliens Leonardo I don't I know Leonardo did is probably best known for doing Spider-Man 2099 mm-hmm. and he's got a really clean art style. I like, you know, I actually like the art in this a bit better than Banks's art in the Green Lantern book. But I don't think he really did much for Dark Horse. They only said that he, when I looked up on Mike's Amazing World, he only did like some of the uh, early Dark Horse Presents comics. And I don't yeah. know if he was specifically doing anything. But he does a really good job at depicting the aliens. Um, I don't know why the aliens would uh, would want to capture Brick because isn't she silicone based? Silicon, yeah. You know, can they? Can they gestate an egg inside her? Does she have? Well, I guess they're going to find out. I, well, you know, that's surprising. But uh, again, you know, it's it's your typical, you know, alien type thing. We're going to introduce you to a bunch of characters. You're going to we're going to make you ca- maybe kind of sort of care about them. And then we're going to have them get carried away. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's not a that's not a bad trope. It's worked a lot in the alien films. And it, I think it works here. The the one thing that they did have to do is they had to find a way to depower Kyle because uh, much like when uh, they did the Superman versus Aliens uh, the right. first the first book with that the way they dealt with Superman you know having to have a problem with dealing with these aliens was they had to take him away from the Yellow Sun and depower him so mm-hmm. by pretty much by the end of the book you know. Cal or Superman has had an alien face hugger and he's been implanted. Now he's still not at like human level strength. He's still got some powers, but he's so depowered that he can actually 
there's that actual possibility or threat that he could succumb to a chest burster coming out. Obviously, that doesn't happen, but it's one of those things where in this story, you've got a person who's a superhero who could essentially, if he wanted to, could do anything. Yeah, could do anything. He could completely wipe these aliens out if he wanted to. And that was one of the the conceits in the first story. You know, they could have just easily crushed these aliens and been done with it and not had this problem. But, you know, they had the sort of mentality that, you know, they're just they're just like sharks. They just exist and we'll put them in an isolated place and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. So the hook here is they have to depower Kyle as Green Lantern by taking away his ring. And I think that leads to, you know, him having to determine whether or not he would do the same thing, whether he would try and relocate the aliens or deal with them in a, a passive way Right. Or whether he's going to have to deal with them, you know, in, in a more violent way and take them out. So it's it, it's a trope of the story because, yeah, Green Lantern could come in there and wipe them out easily if he wanted to. But, you know, they they advance the story by taking away the threat of that happening. And uh, I think it works for this. Um, That's pretty much all I have on it. Do you have yeah. anything specifically else? on I mean, it? I like I, I do like the fact that the fight scene tends to be it seems like it happens very quickly, which is what generally happens in alien movies, you mm-hmm. know. They the aliens tend to strike very quickly and with with no remorse, just zap, 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 zap. What the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they do a good job of uh, of setting up the tension and, you know, uh, the the panel layouts, you know, you know, moving from one to another. And again, the aliens look really good. They're on model and uh, you get the you get all the tropes of, you know, the acid splashing and mm-hmm. you know that so it it works as a as a story to to kind of further the uh the idea of the alien storyline in the movies and you know it works in a suit you know in a crossover method with the superheroes in diminishing the power of the one hero and making you deter making the hero determine what he would do in a situation where he can't just fix everything instantaneously with his magic wishing so right uh, it's a fun story overall I, I enjoy it but yeah that's that, that's about it for this um thomas again this was just a barrel of fun despite the fact that you know we had to deal with you know horrible <laughs> horrible gay stereotypes and, and sexual harassment in the workplace uh, don't do it kids don't sexually harass people in the workplace people it's it's bad and don't write overly gay stereotypes. No one likes them. I don't think even I, I would be surprised if, you know, you know, I can't speak for 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 gay people because I am not one of them. But I think anyone should be a bit offended by the characterization of this. If it's done for satire or broad humor, that's fine. But if it's done to be uh, just a character you know, a character trait, it's annoying and I think disrespectful. So, uh, but that could just be me. Well, the good news is I don't think we're going to see those type of stereotypes for, you know. Well, that, that's good. I, cause I, I really, you know, it, it wouldn't, it would be just as bad if, you know, you had John Stewart, you know, going, yo, Kai, let's go get some uh, fried chicken and some malt liquor. <laughs> It'd be just as bad as... And then we're going to play some craps. <laughs> we're going to go roll some dice in the back alley. <laughs> just 
that would be just horrible. So don't do that. Please, Judd Winnick. I'm begging you. I'm hoping that that's not the case. And I'm certain it's it... like the most racist thing I think we've ever said. That's just, yes, it's. We do I, not endorse racism, folks. We hate this kind of stuff. We don't want to see this kind of stuff. Please, if you're writing this, go and punch yourself in the balls, okay? <laughs> we don't want to see it. There's a horrible way. You know, There's I was something wrong with being fancy. <laughs> yes. There, and, and again, the character could have been if you'd left him as sort of bohemian and not played him as broadly, I think I wouldn't have the sort of negative feelings I had to him. But, you know, the fact that he was just such a outright obnoxious gay stereotype, I just had to call it out and say it was it was bad. They could have they could have done it far with far more subtlety. Well, I still I still wonder if the reason he was such a broad stereotype is to draw attention away from Terry. Yeah, I could I could probably see that that if that was the case, that doesn't justify it, but it does give credence to the argument. But Thomas, again, it is the it is always the highlight of the highlight of my week, the highlight of my month, the highlight of any time that I get to record, that I get to talk to you, sir. It's always a pleasure, dude. I will never turn down the chance to sit, to sit here with you. You know that. And we will be doing we will be doing more stuff. I know you wanted to come on to talk more about you know Terry when when things happen with him. So yeah. I yeah. Although I, you had said that that you might have another idea. I'm I'm hoping. Get it? Hoping yes. that I might be able to pull dun, in, dun, dun. pull in uh, another female uh, podcaster to come in here and talk about this because she, she herself, you know, is is uh, bisexual and she uh, is open about that. And I'd like to hear what her opinions are on on that storyline. So, you know, this is kind of seeding that I would love to podcast with her on the show and see what she has to think about it. But Thomas, it's great having you on. Uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, plug some of the places on the internet where people can find you? Okay. Um, well, you mentioned better in the dark, which obviously has been coming out very erratically lately. Um, next one up is a point five where we talk about Edgar Wright and Marvel, Marvel movies in general. Oh, uh, I'm so that, you know, as much as people were concerned about Guardians of the Galaxy being mm-hmm. the Marvel movie that fails, now that Edgar Wright is off Ant-Man, I'm doubly concerned about that movie. Um, well, we, we, we talk about it. We, we okay. talk about, about the situation. Um, it's been a few weeks since probably uh, by the time you, everybody hears this, but uh, – I'm starting a new podcast because, of course, I don't have enough on my plate with Kalen B. Conley called Molly Fog the Music. And Big Shock, one of the subjects of that music-based podcast in the first episode is, of course, the lovely Catherine McPhee. Wow, that's that's a surprise. You never talk about her. (laughs) Nerd Wrangler! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, people might... Nerd Wrangler! Um... What else is um hopefully one of these years the second Shadow Legion book is coming out, uh Shape of Fears to Come. Cool. And I've started outlining the third one, which is the second full length novel. And uh three words, steampunk pirate cat. <laughs> <laughs> you you've sold me. <laughs> <laughs> the pre-order is already there. Where can I get this book? <laughs> Steve Book Pirate Cat. 
There you go. <laughs> oh, but Thomas, it is, like I've said before, it is always a thrill to have you on and get to talk to you. So, so wonderful. And, you know, despite the fact that we had our, you know, our problems with the issue, I, I'm looking forward to what Judd Winnick is going to do with the character. It does get better. Seriously, <laughs> it does. Well, thanks everyone for downloading and listening, and we will catch you here in seven days on another episode of Just One of the Guys. Until then, have a good weekend, everyone. Nerd Wrangler. <laughs> You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Greenland podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as skin the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast or search for Two True Freaks, the numeral two, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can also search me on Facebook. And now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new deposit core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was My Favorite Game from the Cardigans off their album Gran Turismo. If you'd like to buy this album, buy this song, or possibly even buy the game Gran Turismo for your Xbox or PlayStation 3 or Xbox One or PlayStation 4, I would suggest that you should go to Amazon.com to buy any of those things. I would also suggest that you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to get to Amazon. Anytime you go over to 2TrueFreaks.com and click on the link in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, you'll be transported to Amazon.com where you can guide music, video games, DVDs, Blu-rays, anything that the modern geek could desire at incredibly low prices. Plus, anytime you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to go make a purchase at Amazon, a small amount of your purchase price goes shunted back to the website. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really, really helps us out. So whenever you're wanting to be a love fool, see what I did there? Make sure you use the link at twotruefreaks.com. But I'm wondering if they might have started doing that because my daughter during the summer has basically spent her entire summer sitting in front of the computer and sitting in front Hello? of the laptop again. Oh, shit. Okay. Right. Hello. Hello again. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Damn you to hell, Sky. Damn you all to hell. Yeah, but I, I loved it. I, I was, I was. Oh, here we go again.
Oh, there we go. You're back. Okay. You're all back. right. Okay. Good. I can hear you typing. All right. <laughs> there was a local, and this is, of course, many, many years ago. There was a locally um, produced video show that was on. I forget what it was called, but one night they they shot it entirely what they call Batman Ocam, <laughs> where at random intervals the the camera would slide to one side and they go Batman Ocam and they go back. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> if they can incorporate that into any show, yes, then it would automatically you know, <laughs> CSI Batman or Cam. Just, <laughs> they would all have to turn to the turn to the the camera and just go Batman or Cam. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, I think I mean I'm going to be watching Scorpion because you know Catherine McVie is going to be on it. Mm-hmm. Although you you wouldn't know it, know it by watching the promos. Now, what's this show? I, you know, I haven't kept up on the new. Uh, um, is it what, what network is going to be on? It's on CBS. It's going to be on Monday nights. Okay. It is a show about a government agency that puts together a task force composed of, let's not put too fine a point on nerds. Okay. To solve really, really bad emergencies, and Catherine McPhee plays the nerd wrangler. <laughs> and I think it would have been a much better show if they just titled <laughs> Called it, it the Nerd Wrangler. <laughs> yeah, Catherine McPhee, Nerd Wrangler. You know, it, it's it's a good hook. I'll give you that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful woman. You know, running roughshod over nerds. So. What more could one want? One want exactly. <laughs> <laughs>